I'd like to welcome you to Prairie View Christian Church. I'm glad you've chosen to worship here with us this morning. And if you're anything like me, back a couple months ago, you may have encountered a problem. And that problem was that around Christmas time, which it's hard to believe that was already two months ago, I was given the job of putting together toys for Javen. Javen got a Little Tykes basketball goal for Christmas. And he's not quite big enough to really play with it yet. I was playing with it more than he was. But I was given the job of putting it together, and so I take out the box, and I take out all the parts, and it looks pretty self-explanatory. I mean, there's not a whole lot of pieces. There's just the base, and the post, and the backboard, and the rim, and the net, and I figured I could probably figure this out on my own. So I kind of start piecing the thing together, and it gets put together, and it feels sturdy. It looks the way it's supposed to on the box, but then I get to the part where you put the net on the rim. And so I look at the net, and I see the way it's looped. I see the way the rim works, and I thought I could figure this out on my own. So I start putting the net through, and it seems like it's going to hold, seems good, and we start playing with it. But then over the next few days, the rim started coming unraveled, slowly but surely. And now the rim, or the net, rather, is not even hanging on the rim. It's just kind of dangling, sitting on top of the goal, and I still don't really know how to put it on yet. But the point of the story is that even though I thought I could figure this out on my own, even though I thought that I had this down, I would have been way better off if I would have just used the help provided from the beginning. If I would have used the instructions, I would have been in much better shape than I actually was. Now, you can take another analogy of this. Let's say you're starting a new job. You're starting this new job, and your first weekend, you really want to prove yourself to your coworkers, You really want to prove yourself to your boss. And so you're trying to get to know them and you're trying to do things without asking a lot of questions because you want people to just be blown away at how naturally everything comes to you. You want people to be so impressed with how easily you get it. So you try not to ask questions. You try to act like you've got it all figured out, like you know how to do everything. And that may last for a little while. That may work for a little while, but eventually you will encounter something in your job where if you're not willing to ask for help from a coworker or from a boss, you might end up doing it wrong. You'll end up doing something you're not supposed to do, and you'll end up not doing something that you are supposed to do, all because you don't want to ask for help. So when it comes to putting toys together or furniture together or anything else, we'd be wise to look at the instructions, to use the help provided for us. And in the same way, when we start a new job, there's value in asking questions. There's value in not relying on our own strength or our own knowledge alone and getting help. You know, as followers of Jesus, I think this applies for us, too, because we have a pretty big mission ahead of us when you really think about it. I mean, Jesus makes some pretty heavy demands of his followers. He says, love your enemies, turn the other cheek. Become a healthy tree that bears good fruit. Be willing to abandon your father and your mother to follow me. And that's just to name a few of the challenges and demands that Jesus makes of his followers. And we're told to do these things in a world that may hate us for our faith. We're told to do these things, striving to be holy reflections of God himself. We're told to do these things while resisting temptation. Seems like a pretty big task. But then the icing on the cake is that we're told to go out and make disciples of all nations. To preach all this stuff to our friends and our family and our neighbors in hopes that they might end up following Jesus too. Of course, the question should be asked, how in the world are we supposed to accomplish this on our own? 
Well, the answer and the good news is that we're not called to accomplish this on our own. We've been given help. We've been given guidance. We've been given instructions. And we would do, be wise to take advantage of that. Now, that help can come in different forms. Scripture is a big help for the follower of Jesus, striving to follow Jesus more closely every single day, striving to trust in God's grace more and more and grow in their faith every day. Scripture is a huge help. Another help is community, finding wise, experienced, seasoned Christians who have been through the ups and downs of life, who can hold us accountable and they can encourage us. That's a big source of help, too. But the big source of help I want to focus on today is this. It's the Holy Spirit. The main point I want to get at is that Christians need the Holy Spirit's help as we follow Jesus. If we ignore the Holy Spirit the way we ignore instructions for a toy or the way we don't want to ask for help at a new job, we may get along for a little while, but eventually we'll pay for it. We will fail if we think we can do everything Jesus demands of us on our own strength alone. So that's what we're going to look at today, looking at the help of the Holy Spirit. We're going to be in 1 John, continuing our Because He First Loved Us series in 1 John chapter 4. But before we actually jump into our text, I'm going to pray and then we'll get started. So if you would, please pray with me. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you've blessed us with. Thank you for your grace that just abounds more and more and more. And as we continue getting to know you, we understand just how helpless we are without you. And God, as we strive to follow you, as we strive to imitate you, I pray that we won't just do that on our own strength, because if we do that, we will fail. God, you've given us the Holy Spirit. And I pray that we will take advantage of that. You've given us this incredible source of help. And I pray that we won't waste it. God, we love you. We honor you. We praise you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 4. We're going to cover quite a bit of ground today. We're going to cover all of chapter 4 and the first five verses of chapter 5. So I would encourage you to follow along in some way, whether it's on your phone or your iPad. We have Bibles underneath the chairs. Feel free to use one of those. If you don't own a Bible, feel free to grab one from the welcome desk, as long as you're following along in some way. So 1 John chapter 4, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Remember that phrase. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Verse 5. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now, if you've been with us so far in this sermon series, we're in week six. You may have picked up on the theme that John can be a little bit repetitive at times. And that certainly is true. There are some big themes that John just hits at over and over and over in this book. And you may have gotten that sense already. 
And you're right if you think John gets a little bit repetitive. He does. But he doesn't just do that because he's bored. He doesn't just do that to waste time. He doesn't do that because he's just thinking of more things to say just for the heck of it. He says these things and repeats these things because they're important. Especially when you're dealing with what John's dealing with. He's dealing with false teachers who have led some of his brothers and sisters astray already. And he's trying to warn others who haven't been led astray. Don't fall in. Don't fall for it. And so John is repeating these big themes. He's covering them from all kinds of different angles. He's trying to make sure that he doesn't leave a single stone unturned, that every single question is answered. There is no gray area left. There is black and there is white and there's no doubt about what John wants to emphasize. That's why he repeats himself, because this stuff is important. And in those first six verses, we saw the first thing the Holy Spirit helps followers of Jesus to do, those who have placed their faith in Christ, and that's this. The Holy Spirit helps give us discernment. Now, discernment is a word that we don't really use a whole lot outside of church. It's kind of become Christian lingo. So the word discernment can kind of be used as kind of a substitute for wisdom. It's kind of the ability to tell right from wrong, the ability to tell truth from error, the ability to tell wrong from right, that kind of stuff. Having that kind of wisdom, that's the idea of discernment. Now, that being said, this word discernment, when we use it in the church, when we use it for wisdom, I think sometimes we use it to our own advantage. And we use that word discernment as justification of being hypercritical and hypercynical of anything and everything, of anyone and everyone. We get to the point where we judge things that simply, it's not our job to judge. But then we do it in the name of discernment. And we say that, oh, we're just having discernment. That's why we're being being critical. And don't get me wrong, there is certainly a place for discernment, but that doesn't give us the license to be hypercritical and hypercynical about anything and everything. But John does say that discernment is important, especially when it comes to sound teaching. John tells his audience to test every spirit. The reason for this is that there are false prophets out there, John says. There are bad teachers out there. There are people who will lead you astray. And so while we're not called to be hypercynical, we are called to be discerning. We are called to look for truth. We are called to ask the Holy Spirit to help us identify good teaching from bad teaching. Now John's not the first person to say this. Look at what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 19. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Paul makes it clear that you are called to be discerning. You are called to test spirits. You are called to look at your teachers, to question at times, to be a little bit critical, but not hypercritical. Paul says, don't despise prophecies. Don't become such a critic that you don't listen to anything. Don't become so suspicious and jaded and bitter that you won't hear any teacher or any teaching. But be cautious. That's the idea. Test the spirits. Don't believe everything you hear. Don't believe every single preacher out there. Don't believe every single Christian blog out there. Be discerning. Use the Holy Spirit to your advantage. 
to be discerning. Now, in John's case, one of the things that he cites is that these false teachers are denying that Jesus came in the flesh. They're denying that Jesus comes from God. Now, here's the thing. This is where discernment comes in for us today as Christians. There are false teachers out there and there are false prophets out there who affirm those things. So if we use that as the only criteria, there are some bad teachers out there that we will listen to. But there are teachers out there today who will affirm that Jesus came in the flesh, who will affirm that Jesus is the son of God. And yet they are severely misguided on other aspects of who Jesus is. And that makes the need for us to pray for discernment, to look to the Holy Spirit for discernment that much more urgent. We should read scripture. We should seek wise counsel. But the best way to find discernment is to trust the Holy Spirit. That's why he's given to us. It's one of the many reasons we have the Holy Spirit to help discern good teaching from bad teaching. And ultimately, he's the best teacher we could ever find. But not only do we discern the teaching itself, we discern the teachers. John says that these teachers are from the world. Now, as we talked about several weeks ago, many false teachers are exposed by their own actions, whether it's things like legal troubles or questionable finances, shady finances, sexual immorality. Often false teachers will expose themselves. Now, really quickly, I do want to say this. Just because someone has had legal troubles in the past, just because someone has made some shady financial decisions in the past, just because someone has committed sexual immorality in the past, that does not mean that they can't ever be a good teacher. It simply doesn't mean that. But what it does mean is that if teachers that we trust, spiritual mentors that we trust have that track record, we should be that much more discerning. We should be just a little bit more cautious because we're called to be discerning about which teachers we listen to and which teachers we don't listen to. Recently, I read an article by Mark Driscoll, and he talked about the five good things to look for in a Bible teacher. I thought this was a useful article, and I'm going to read the five traits that Driscoll mentions. Number one is character. Driscoll writes, A preacher's actions must speak before his words because what we do says something about who God is and whether his holiness truly matters. A good Bible teacher is faithful to his wife. He doesn't steal money from the church. He exercises self-control and so on. Of course, it is possible to find faults and flaws in any leader, which is why a good Bible teacher also demonstrates character by repenting when needed, as well as acknowledging mistakes. The gospel is just as much for the shepherd as it is for the flock. That's trait number one, a character. Trait number two is clarity. All too often, pastors open the Bible and nothing but fog comes out. The congregation can't follow and the big idea is hazy. A good Bible teacher doesn't need to be liked, but he needs to be clear. Clarity is more important than funny jokes, clever anecdotes, or popular pronouncements. Trait number three, consistency. In our day, Billy Graham is a great example of consistency. He's been preaching about the cross of Jesus Christ his whole life, right up through his perhaps final sermon some weeks ago. A good Bible teacher isn't enamored with the new and trendy. He doesn't get bored with the eternal truths of the faith. He is consistent over time. Trait number four is courage. Everybody's got an appetite to do something sinful. A good Bible teacher has the courage to discourage others from their iniquity. 
In other words, a good Bible teacher, a sound teacher, is someone who's not scared to speak truth. Not scared to say things that may even be offensive at times. Not scared to say things that may come across as politically incorrect. But it's the truth. And courage is an important aspect of any Bible teacher. Then finally, trait number five, Christ. Every good Bible teacher points you to Jesus Christ. If you forget everything else in this article, remember this. A good Bible teacher understands that the scripture is for us, but it's not about us. It's about Jesus. Any time that the Bible is open and Jesus is not proclaimed, the Bible was not rightly opened. In the words of Steve Yetton, a mentor of mine, Jesus should be the hero of every sermon. That's when you have a good Bible teacher. And so my challenge to you is this, is to use the Holy Spirit to be discerning when it comes to teachers. That includes the people that you see on TV. That includes the blogs you read. That includes the people standing on this stage. Be discerning about who you will listen to. Look for these traits. Look for character. Look for courage. Look for clarity. Look for consistency. And look for Christ. Be discerning in that because those are the kinds of teachers you want to follow. And ultimately, the Holy Spirit, if you prayerfully seek those teachers, he will help you find those teachers. Now, we do see this as well about the Holy Spirit. We pick up in chapter 4, verse 7, and there's a big chunk of verses we're about to read. So just bear with me. I'm going to read 14 verses straight. So I might need to take a big breath in the middle of it, but then we'll tie it all together. There's one big theme all in these 14 verses. So starting in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. There's that fancy word again, propitiation. It's the idea of a sacrifice that takes away wrath, an atoning sacrifice. That's what we see there with that word. Verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. 
Now, that's again, that's a lot of verses to read all at once, but there's one big theme in those 14 verses. The first theme in verses 1 through 6 is that the Holy Spirit helps us discern. The second idea in these verses is the Holy Spirit helps us love. And the thing we see in that passage is that our love only finds value when it starts with God's love. God's initial love for us is what truly matters. And the Holy Spirit helps us love God back. John says we love because God first loved us. He says that we love God because he first loved us. We love one another because he first loved us. We love Jesus because God first loved us. And all this love finds its starting point, finds its initiation, not just in our hearts, not just in our feelings, but rather in the love that God has shown for us. That's where love really starts. Look at Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. And we do have these verses up on the screen if we could get those up. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. This beautiful passage. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and then while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Look at the beauty of that passage. Like we talked about last week, instead of self-preserving, Jesus self-sacrificed. He died for you and he died for me, even though we had and still have nothing to offer him. There's nothing in it for Jesus, and yet he dies for us. He died for the same guys who hours earlier, when he was arrested, fled. They went to save their own skin, and yet Jesus dies for them, and he dies for us. When really, we probably would have done the exact same thing. We probably would have been guilty of running too. Jesus died for people who fight with their spouses. Jesus died for people who just have a hard time parting with that tithe. Jesus died for people who still struggle with pornography. Jesus died for those people while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. That's the beauty of what we see in Romans 5. Up on the screen, we'll have a quote from a guy named I. Howard Marshall. I. Howard Marshall, he wrote a book on 1 John, said some really interesting things about the love of God. It should be the next slide in the slideshow. He writes this. There can be no explanation or definition of true love which does not start from God's love. We cannot begin to understand love by considering the nature of our love for God. Rather, love is to be seen in the prior act of God, who loved us and expressed his love by sending his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. In this phrase, we find the deepest meaning of the term love. Love means forgiving the sins of the beloved and remembering them no more. This is what God has done for rebellious mankind. He pardons their sins against himself at his own cost. To remove this element from the biblical teaching on the nature of God's love is to water down the concept of love beyond measure. True love doesn't start with our hearts. True love doesn't start with our feelings. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we know how messed up our hearts are. We know how messed up we are emotionally at times. If you want to find true love, don't look in the mirror. Look at the cross. That's where true love really starts. That's where true love is really seen. 
That's where love is seen as truly beautiful. And what's even better is that this love that God has for us, he's working on it within us. The Holy Spirit is developing it within us. He's transforming us slowly but surely. There's one more quote from I. Howard Marshall I'm going to put up on the screen here. And that says this. Human love, however noble and however highly motivated, falls short if it refuses to include the Father and Son as the supreme object of its affection. In other words, there are loving people out there. But that love is imperfect if God's not the object of it. That love is imperfect if it's only from that person's heart because our hearts are messed up. That love is imperfect because if it's only from our feelings because our feelings fade. But love truly finds its meaning when it starts with God. It's worked on by the Holy Spirit in our hearts and God is the object of that love. The Holy Spirit helps us to love. And the beauty of this This idea of the Holy Spirit helping us to love is that this love that the Holy Spirit is working on within those who follow Jesus, this love allows you to truly live. It really gives purpose and meaning to life. Look at Romans chapter 5 again. Same passage we were just in. Verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul makes it clear That when you understand the love that God has for you, when that love is being worked on in your heart by the Holy Spirit, that's when life really begins. That's when you have peace with God. That's when even your sufferings can be something that you rejoice in because it produces endurance. It produces character. That's living. And we no longer have to fear judgment. John says that perfect love casts out fear. Those who know Christ, those who have the Holy Spirit, those who are learning to discern and learning to love, we look forward to the day when God returns. We look forward to the day when Jesus comes back and he judges the world because we know the love that God has for us. And it's seen in our lives through the Holy Spirit working in us. And so we don't fear that. We don't dread the day that Jesus returns. We look forward to it. We count down the days. We count down the hours looking forward to that time when Jesus returns. And in the meantime, we enjoy life. We truly live through the love God has for us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it this way, if we can get that quote up on the screen. Being a Christian is less about cautiously avoiding sin than about courageously and actively doing God's will. When you understand the love that God has for you, that's when life really starts. That's when we can boldly and confidently follow Jesus, no matter where he takes us, no matter where that leads. Because we have the Holy Spirit. We've learned to love. We've learned to discern. We no longer fear the day of judgment. Instead, we live joyfully. We rejoice in our sufferings. And we follow Jesus boldly, no matter what. Now, the third thing 
the Holy Spirit helps us do, we're going to look at in 1 John chapter 5, the last little chunk of verses we're going to look at, starting in chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? The Holy Spirit helps us discern, the Holy Spirit helps us love, and the Holy Spirit helps us persevere. He helps us overcome the world. And John identifies these same three tests that we've looked at already in this series. The test of belief, the test of love, and the test of obedience. The Holy Spirit helps us persevere in our belief because there will be times in this life where we're tempted to fall away. We're tempted to chase after false teachings. We're tempted to maybe even give up our faith completely. And yet the Holy Spirit can serve as an anchor, drawing us back to God, encouraging us to maintain our faith in him, encouraging us to persevere even during the most difficult times that life throws at us. The Holy Spirit helps us persevere in our love. Back in Batesville, there's a guy there named Bob Coons. And Bob Coons was an elder for decades at Batesville Christian Church. And one of the most godly men I've ever met in my life. And I remember, this is actually before my time, but Bob told me this story. Batesville was making a change in music. They had been more traditional in their music, and so they were deciding that they were going to go to a little bit more contemporary style. And Bob just didn't like it. Bob didn't want any part of it. But the other elders voted it through, and Bob kind of took the flag and took the brunt of it and said, you know what, I'll support the decision. I'm not too crazy about it, but... Whatever. Okay. So Bob shows up at church the next week, and he's already kind of got a bad attitude. He's already kind of pessimistic about how this is going to go. But then as he's sitting there worshiping, he looks out and he sees other people worshiping. And they're worshiping in a way that he had never seen before. They're worshiping with smiles on their faces. They're worshiping and they're into it. They're actually excited. They're having fun. They're truly enjoying it. They're rejoicing. And Bob steps back and basically says, you know, I don't like this music. It's not my taste. It's not my style. But you know what? If it's helping other people worship, then I'll deal with it. That's what love looks like when it perseveres. Bob is an older guy. He's been around for a long time. He's been through the ups and the downs. He knows what he likes and he knows what he doesn't like. But his love overrules that. That's what love looks like when it perseveres. And finally, it perseveres in obedience. The Holy Spirit helps us obey God. Again, Jesus makes some pretty heavy demands of his followers. He makes demands that we may be tempted to abandon. But the Holy Spirit will help us to stay obedient. Because when we understand the love that God has for us, that's poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, we no longer obey out of obligation. We no longer obey trying to prove ourselves worthy. We obey out of love. And we obey because it's a privilege. And Jesus' commands are not burdensome, as John would put it. There's one more picture I want to show up on the screen. You may have heard in the news this past week that the National Corvette Museum had a sinkhole 
I've never been to the National Corvette Museum. I've always driven past it. But this giant sinkhole formed in the ground, and eight priceless Corvettes fell in this sinkhole. And they really only know where six of them are. Two of them are just completely buried. There's a picture of the sinkhole. Now, the owners of the Corvette Museum, they had these Corvettes sitting out, and they assumed that these priceless cars are sitting on a solid foundation. They're sitting on solid ground. They have plenty of foundation underneath them, but they really became pretty aware that that actually was not the case. All they had under them was this thin slab of concrete holding up these cars. And eventually that came back to bite them. In the same way as followers of Christ, if we rely on our own strength, if we rely on our own will, if we rely on our own feelings and our own hearts to love God and discern teaching and follow Jesus and persevere in our faith, if we think we can do it on our own, then we're like those Corvettes. We're on this thin slab of concrete, and we may be held up for a little while, but eventually a cave-in is going to happen. Eventually it's going to fail. My challenge to you is trust in the Holy Spirit. Too often in our own faith, too often in the church, we neglect the role the Holy Spirit plays in what we're doing, in our faith. And my prayer is that we will lean on him more and more and more. We will lean on him to work in our lives, to transform us, to change us, to make us look more like God instead of just trusting in ourselves. We trust in God's grace. We trust in the Holy Spirit. We pray he gives us discernment. We pray that he helps us to love. And we pray that he helps us persevere. Because as we have the Spirit living in us, he won't let us fail if we rely on him. Look to him for strength. Look to him for power. And he'll give it to you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you've blessed us with. And thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. God, if we try to follow you on our own strength, if we try to persevere through the ups and downs of life on our own strength, then we'll fail. But God, true believers, you've given us your Holy Spirit. And God, we trust that your spirit is working on us. It's pruning us. It's helping us become more like you in our belief, in our love, in our obedience. So God, I pray that we'll lean on you to maintain us. We'll lean on you knowing that you will help us persevere. You've given us the Holy Spirit for that specific reason. God, help us to truly embrace that. Help us to truly take advantage of that. You've given us this help. Don't let us be in our faith the way we are with putting things together or starting new jobs, trying to figure it out on our own, trying to do everything on our own power, because we will fall. But God, help us to trust in your spirit. Thank you for giving us your spirit. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for giving us Jesus and the privilege that we have of serving him. Thank you that he self-sacrificed instead of self-preserving, that he died on the cross for me he died on the cross for countless others, God. And we're just in awe of that. We're blown away by that. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for Jesus. We love you. We honor you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you don't.